0: It's the Larry Kudlow Show. Free market prosperity starts here. Now, here's Larry Kudlow.
1: Hello, folks. I'm Larry Kudlow. This is the Larry Kudlow Show. Great pleasure to be with you. Plenty to talk about. We're going to go ballooning today, as you might imagine. By the by, during the week, please join us. Fox Business Network. The name of the show is Kudlow. 4 to 5 p.m. every day, Monday through Friday, on the Fox Business Network. And if for some crazy reason you can't get hold of us at 4 o'clock, you can just text your favorite 9-year-old, who will teach you how to DVR the show. And you'll never miss a thing. And right here, you can get us uh, live streaming on the Internet. It's LarryKudlowShow.com, LarryKudlowShow.com, throughout the country, around the globe, throughout the uh, solar system and the Milky Way. And um, the Chinese can hear us up there at 65,000 feet in their lovely balloon. You know, uh, by now everybody knows about the balloon story. Uh, this is nothing but Chinese spying. This is Chinese espionage. Make no mistake about that, this nonsense they're giving us about how it's just a uh, weather-related research uh, arm, a civilian aircraft. By the way, there's no such thing as a civilian aircraft in China that's all run by the Chinese government, which is run by the Chinese communist party, the CCP. And, um, don't believe a word of anything else. Trust me on this folks. I've worked in the white house. I've sat through numerous national security council meetings in my time during the Trump administration. This is all cooked up by the Chinese CCP. And, um, there is no two ways about that. Uh, What I don't understand, what I'll never understand, I guess, what no one will ever understand is why the Biden administration didn't have the backbone or the common sense to take this thing down. I mean, really, what are we waiting for? It's been up there for days. It came down through the Aleutian Islands in Alaska, which, by the way, has a lot of important military bases. And, uh, floating around Montana. I don't know where it is now. Where is it now? Does anybody know where it is now? Somebody said it was drifting west again. I mean, I have no idea. Uh, okay. Producer says it's around Kansas. I just want to say, by the by, I'm sure it's just a coincidence, right? Because they're really interested in the Montana weather. But there are 150 nuclear-armed Minutemen 3 intercontinental ballistic missiles at that Maelstrom Air Force Base in Montana. You think it was a coincidence that this uh, little weather balloon, as they say, was uh, flying or holding above those silos? Silos are below the ground, but there's little cabins or offices, little things you have to get through. So you can figure out where it is. The silos themselves, the missiles, are below the ground. But this is just a – and there's important stuff, uh, very important stuff in Wyoming. Uh, Active nuclear missile wings in Wyoming and North Dakota. We're going to have Senator Kevin Kramer of North Dakota on at the half hour to talk about this and other related matters. Uh, And there's also – deactivated missile wings in uh, North Dakota and nearby South Dakota and Missouri. So this is, um, you know, prime territory for our nation's defense uh, against a nuclear attack. Now, you think the Chinese didn't know that? Of course they knew that. That's what it's doing there. And for us, for the USA, for the Biden administration and its Defense Department, This is a huge breakdown in national security. That's all it is. They were caught flat-footed with their pants down. They could have nailed this thing over water as it floated from Alaska. I mean, really, I guess from China up through Russia or in the Bering Straits or someplace up there uh, into Alaska. They could have nailed it. It could have wound up in the water or as it was coming across Western Canada. I mean, he, here's the odd thing. This uh, Pentagon story, that says, um, well, we're worried the debris will fall, hit civilians. There aren't any civilians in Montana. You ever been to Montana, kids? I mean, it's a lovely, beautiful place. My saintly wife is from Western Montana, Whitefish, Montana. That's where we were married 35-plus years ago, right? A long time. We love her to death. Saintly wife. Anyway, we know a little bit about Montana. Her kith and kin grew up there. Some of them worked on the railroad 100 years ago. The point is, you know, there's no speed limit in most of Montana. You can drive for hours and not even see a human being. And the Pentagon is worried about debris falling and hitting people. It's just by the time you get to central Montana, eastern Montana, it's all deserted farmland. I mean, the, the military base itself, Malmström, is is just farmland around it. Or, you know, our fighter jets know how to capture this, right? This is not hard. I mean, these kinds of things have been going on through world wars. You know, balloon spying, balloon espionage is a kind of on-the-cheap way of spying. but it also can be, by the way, the lead... The lead runner, if you will, the lead, uh, movement, uh, towards an attack, including a nuclear attack. So it's been used for everything. We know how to shoot them down. We know how to capture them and bring them down. And then we could examine the technology equipment. If you look on this big balloon ball thing, you see these pictures. There's little, you know, black appendages on the bottom of it. Uh, you know, that's where the information is. That's where the technology is. I'd like to see that technology, wouldn't you? You know, what do the Chinese have? And what's in there? What kind of intelligence is being beamed back to Beijing for the Chinese Communist Party? That's what's going on here. So they pulled Anthony Blinken, the Secretary of State, who was going to go to China. shouldn't have gone to China anyway. Incidentally, it was interesting, Mike Gallagher, Congressman Mike Gallagher of Wisconsin, who was on uh, our Cudlow Business Show yesterday, he made a very – he's the new head of the new House Select Committee on China, uh, and he's an ex-military man. He's a very smart guy, and he's a China expert. Um you know, he said, this is what the Chinese do. They insult you if they think you're doing something, you know, rapprochement, something good, something diplomatic. This is their greeting. And they've done this before. So they're all in a twit anyway. Uh Who is it? Somebody uh was on the phone to Taiwan and. Turkish president or somebody, no, 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 the Czech president was on the phone to Taiwan, the Czech president, EU member, and uh, got the Chinese all in a twit, you know, just as when uh, Pelosi went over there and got them all into a twit. And then, as I said before, I backed Pelosi on that, good for her, human rights, breakdown China. So the Biden administration is paralyzed by this. I mean, this is uh, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, so this is day three of what amounts to an espionage attack on the United States by the communist government of China. Are we going to do something about this? Are we going to shoot them down? Are we going to capture it and bring it down? What are we going to do? And I have no idea, and I don't know if anybody else does, what they're picking up, what kind of signals they're picking up. Some people said they're headed in, did you say that's in Kansas? So it's gone through Missouri to Kansas. they got a big base in Missouri. Uh, I don't know whether they can interrupt signals or not. I have no idea. But we've got to find out. We must find out. And the idea that there's some kind of civilian aircraft in China is absolutely nuts. It's just a flat-out lie. And, of course, the Chinese themselves finally caught apologize for it, but their excuse is pathetic, weather-related. Sure it is, weather-related. By the way, if if it was so harmless, why didn't the Chinese alert us to the fact that they were going to send it over? How about that? I mean, if they wanted international cooperation in a friendly way, you know, Antony Blinken, our Secretary of State's going over there. Why didn't they say... Could we have permission to fly a weather satellite, a weather balloon? We wouldn't have given it to them, I hope. I don't know. The Bidens are kind of pathetic on this. Can you imagine if we tried to fly a weather balloon or any balloon or anything over China? You think they'd just kind of sit around, twiddle their thumbs? Do you think they'd worry about debris falling on People in China, I mean, they kill people routinely in China. They have no respect for life. Look what they've done to the Uyghurs. Look what they've done in Shanghai. Look what they've done in Hong Kong. Look what they've done in COVID. President Biden meets with Xi Jinping, never mentions the COVID killing. All came from China, didn't it? Of course it did. Of course it did. Run roughshod over Hong Kong. Hong Kong. No respect for human rights. These are things the Chinese do. And we're not tough on China. We're not tough on China. Here's something stupid. We're running a $400 billion trade deficit. Almost. Not quite. And the Bidens are thinking about removing some of the uh, Trump trade tariffs. What, to reward them? Because uh, we're still... uh, they're still breaking the trade deal. This was a deal about intellectual property theft. This is a deal about the forced uh, transfer of technology. If an American company opens up a shop in China, China automatically, in almost all cases, particularly outside of some financial exceptions, if you open up a company in China, it is the local Chinese communist government. That gets a 51% share of your company and representation on the board. So they run the company. You get 49, they get 51. What does that mean? They can order you, and they do, to open up your books, put your technology on the table. You know, put those big blue and white sheets on the table so the Chinese can see exactly what you have. And then what do they do? They steal it. Now, we don't believe yet, even though that was in the phase one trade deal from Trump. I was on that trade team, by the way. We don't know if they're enforcing that. We don't have sufficient proof yet. So why would we uh, give them a break? Why would we start ending tariffs on China? I wouldn't. We shouldn't. Uh, we should First of all, we've thrown Huawei out, but it turns out we're still buying some Huawei phone equipment. Communist-run company. We threw them out for the most part, but they still apparently we're still buying some Huawei phone equipment supplies. That's got to stop. We have a lot of export controls, but we should have thrown TikTok out. TikTok is this personal information gathering goes right to Beijing. Billions of people, unbelievable information. We should stop that and other areas. And the stupid thing is. The stupidest thing is what we've just done in Minnesota by the so-called Iron Range by Lake Superior, which is one of the world's, the biggest deposit of American copper and nickel and lithium, which is the stuff batteries need to run electric cars or any other technology. And so a company wants to Drill and develop and get their hands on these minerals. I mean, otherwise we are buying lithium and copper and nickel and other important minerals, strategic minerals. I'll call them global warming minerals, Green New Deal minerals. I'm not opposed to it. I just hate the subsidies. But the point is, if you're going to go this route, right now China controls that market. So, Here's what the Energy Department does, and the EPA and the Interior Department, they put a hold on 225,000 acres up in the Iron Range and forbid America and American entrepreneurs from developing these key minerals. Well, that is a gift to communist China. That's what that is. It's a gift. Because right now, all the battery materials we're supposedly going to use for the Green New Deal, most of it comes from China. So China's cheering. Did you hear them cheering? I could hear them cheering because Deb Halland of our Interior Department says, no permit. You cannot mine these important minerals in Minnesota up by Lake Superior. It's called the Iron Range, I believe. How stupid is that? How utterly stupid is that? So we're going to take a quick break. My point here is, number one, first and foremost, we should take this espionage balloon down. It's a spy machine. Take it down. Take it down. We know how to do it. We don't have to just shoot it. We can capture it and take it down. We know how to do that. And then we can inspect the technology. That's point number one. It's Saturday morning here. Why haven't we done that already? It should have been done Thursday or Friday. It still hasn't been done. It's like they're holding us hostage. And point number two, the Biden should get a China policy. And understand that China is our enemy. They are our adversary. They want global domination. They don't just want Asian domination. They want world domination, okay? we got to understand that and act accordingly. And we have to mobilize our diplomats, our trade and economics people, and our defense people, the whole national security complex, to understand the threat of China. Right, I'm going to come back talk some more about this. And as I say, at the half hour, Senator Kevin Kramer, a very, very, very smart guy, he's from North Dakota, which has its own missile silos. We'll talk some more about this. I want to talk about the whole issue of farmland also. And, um, we'll get on later in the show. We had a pretty good jobs number. We'll talk about that. We'll talk about the State of the Union, which is Tuesday. We're going to talk about the debt ceiling fight. I'm Kudlow. This is the Larry Kudlow
0: Show. We'll be right back. This is the Larry Kudlow Show on 77 WABC. So I just want to, one
1: of the other uh incredibly dumb things, that the Bidens are doing. Besides, again, I, can I just repeat? They should have taken this balloon down already. Not another day. Not another hour. It's beyond belief to me that they don't have the backbone or the you-know-what's to do this. I mean, honestly. But going back, uh, there's another hook here. And, and we're going to have Kevin Kramer on, center from North Dakota. China's buying up a lot of American farmland. Big-time farmland. And believe me when I tell you, it's not just for food or food security, which China doesn't have enough food. You know, tough darts. But um, these Committee on Foreign Investment in the United States, called CFIUS, Committee on Foreign Investment in the United States, it's a Treasury-led committee. I sat on it when I worked in the administration as NEC director. So Cepheus has okayed, cleared the way for a huge China agriculture conglomerate called the Fufang Group, Fufang, to acquire 320 acres in Grand Forks, North Dakota, allegedly for the construction of a corn milling and biofermentation plant. Now, here's the catch. The land is only 12 miles from the Grand Forks Air Force Base. And Grand Forks is the only base in the Air Force's Air Mobility Command to host unmanned aerial systems. All right, unmanned aerial systems. It is also home to the Space Force's Space Networking Center, which is the backbone for all global U.S. military communication. Chinese buying farmland. And this has got to come to a stop. And the Bidens have got to stop this CFIUS endorsements. This is national security. We don't have a security policy against China. That is the bottom line. I'm Kudlow. We'll have Senator Kevin Kramer. From North Dakota, on in just a few moments. Please stay with us.
0: This is the Larry Kudlow Show.
1: Welcome back, folks. I'm Larry Kudlow, and I am here with the great Senator Kevin Kramer from North Dakota. Boy, Senator, we got a lot to talk about today. Oh,
2: boy, do we ever. (laughs) How much time do we have?
1: (laughs) We're going to give you the full half hour, uh because there's so much going on the first thing is you're on arm are you on armed services? I am that's my number one committee right it takes up about half of my time in Congress so you know of where you speak so I you know my first real simple question is why haven't we taken this thing down I don't know that I mean I don't know if we have to shoot it down although I don't know what we're worried about because there aren't any people in Montana uh, but fact is, we could bring it down, capture it, and bring it down. You tell me what is this all about? We this thing we should have taken this thing down Thursday.
2: Well, that is sort of the uh, the, the you know immediate response I think a lot of us have about it. Uh, I, I don't know what the people per square feet in Montana is. or Square mile. I think it's probably somewhere between five and ten, but there are five to ten people per square mile. So you know, if you're one of the if you're one of the five in the mile that it hits, you might you might eject. All of that said, here's my. I'm first of all, I'm trying to I'm trying to keep my cool a little bit in terms of my rhetoric because I, I'm looking forward to getting into a secure you know facility, a skiff, mm-hmm. and hearing from our intelligence and, and defense folks to find out a number of things. First of all. Just how long we've we've known about this, um, you know, when we when it first came into airspace, and they've been talking a little bit, releasing some information about that. But I'm I'm sure there's a lot more to learn, Larry. The biggest thing, though, to me is the first thing is there's only one reason that thing came over the United States of America and over our continent, and that's because Xi Jinping isn't threatened by our president. He has he has paved the way yeah. for every world leader to challenge us at, at every turn that's, that's the first strategy the second thing though is i would hope and i suspect that we're probably learning a few things just as they have learned from us we're learning a few things from this um this device this spy, spying device and that there's some resistance to taking it down because we're still trying to green some of our own intelligence the good thing is that since since they've identified it i pretty certain they've scrambled any signals and any communications and any data that may uh, have found its way, um, you know, up, both up to the balloon and then ultimately to satellites and to, into Beijing and, and whatever the case might be. So uh, my hope is, is that we're doing some counter intelligence work with it. And that's, what's preventing them from taking it down. But you're right. I would certainly hope it doesn't leave American airspace. If it does, then I will be, I will be fit to be tied.
1: You know, Senator, um, I love the Chinese, so they apologize. It's 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 just a weather balloon, and it's a mm-hmm. civilian aircraft. First of all, civilian aircraft is an oxymoron. It's all,
2: Precisely.
1: <laughs> right, they're, they're they're all instrumentalities of the Chinese government and the CCP, uh, and it's no, it's just not up there for weather. But if it were, why don't they? Why didn't they tell us? You know, to say, oh, we'd love to have a weather balloon up there. You mind? I mean, isn't that odd that they didn't ask our permission? Uh, you think that if we wanted to put a balloon in, uh, over China, that um, they'd be okay with it? I don't think so. I don't. You're the expert. You tell me.
2: Yeah. Well, I'm not an expert on weather patterns or wind, you know, or how the jet stream works. But I'm pretty sure that China's not a neighbor, and I'm damn sure they're not good. And so clearly, this this is intentional clearly their their excuses are lies and and by the way just their history mm. tells us that they they can't be trusted they they long ago lost the right to be believed and so you know i, I take everything that they do and everything that they say um you know with with, uh, with a with a china filter and that is to say it's not true so uh, no i we we as you've heard you've heard our friend bob lightizer say many times and i join him in this course we need to decouple. We need a strategic, strategic decoupling from China with China. And a buyer beware for any Americans that invest in or with China, and buyer beware for any state nor, in the country that accepts Chinese investment.
1: Well, look, at let's just uh, – this uh, base in Montana, Malmstrom, there's a yep. uh, 150 nuclear-armed Minutemen-3 Minutemen ICBM missiles there.
3: Mm -hmm.
1: One point. But now you've got stuff in North Dakota. There are active nuclear missile wings in Wyoming and North Dakota, and then I'm reading there's some also top-secret military bases with deactive missile wings in North Dakota and nearby South Dakota and Missouri. And this is the area where this uh, balloon is covering. So, I mean... I mean it's incredible that we let this happen or didn't why didn't we pick it up when they were coming over Alaska for example
2: yeah or, or over the Pacific Ocean on their way to Alaska yeah. or over the Arctic circle or the north pole or how, however that that balloon came the only reason the only legitimate thing I can think of and there are plenty of, of experts that are far smarter than me in this area that might say I'm I'm full of it. The only legitimate reason I could think of is that we wanted it to come here because we were going to use it to spy on it. You know, um, we've all watched hunt for Red October, and, and there's you know there's lots of scenarios where there's counterintelligence and and whatnot at play, but I I don't think we're talking about a super sophisticated craft here. I mean, my God, it's a balloon you can see with the naked eye. Fox News has been running has been running live you know, video of it for for a day now, and so it's it's it is peculiar to say the least. But to, to your point though about the act of um, you know nuclear triad. Not only does Minot in North Dakota have 150 ICBMs, we have uh, B-52 bombers. We have two of the three legs of the of the uh, nu- nuclear triad right in North Dakota, not that far from Malmstrom and from 45,000 feet in the air. Mm. You can probably see Minot you know, over Montana, and you can probably see Wyoming over Montana. So you're, you're right. And by the way, let's not also forget that they, they crossed Alaska. Well. For crying out loud, Alaska probably has more military assets than than the next five states added up. And oh. so there's just no question that, that this is what they're up to, that they are not checking the weather or worried. And we all know they're not worried about climate change because John Kerry, just he just sends all of his climate guilt to China every time he wants to, to rant or rave or run for, you know, homecoming king of Davos.
1: Well, I want to I come back to that John Kerry stuff uh. Because I had Jim Comer on, who's trying to investigate it. But just on this, on the military and the espionage aspects of it, um, mm-hmm. I mean, to me, you could have, you could have scrambled any signals. All right, mm-hmm. th- you know, the first three minutes that you right. spotted the thing, mm-hmm. I just don't. T- it, this is like a gigantic embarrassment. It seems to me, Senator Kramer, to the United States. It's a national security disaster. Pulling Tony Blinken back uh, is a nothingheimer response. And the Chinese do this routinely. Now, there may be another one of these balloons floating over Latin America someplace. I'm reading that. I don't know that it's been completely clarified, but it looks like it has been. But the point is, this is an insult to us, but it also shows a great vulnerability to our national security defense and I would just say you can't have this. And and my other question, you know, what is Joe Biden's policy towards China? Does, is he intimidated by Xi Jinping? I mean, uh, the way he was intimidated by Putin, for example, on the eve of the Ukraine invasion, uh, does he understand that they're our adversary, they're our enemy, they're not our best friends? He went over there, as you recall um a few weeks ago whatever a month ago i don't think he ever raised the issue of the you know covid deaths and the source was uh, certainly china um does he get this does he understand this what is
2: our policy well first of all when it comes to our policy i i suspect it's if to the degree it's biden's policy it's. It's his name only. I, I just don't yeah. think the guy grasps most of this stuff. I'm mm-hmm. sorry to say it, but I just think that's true. I think on the other hand, the other issue you raised about the sort of the geopolitical embarrassment—that that, that's really to me the bigger problem of, of all of them. You know, certainly if they're stealing nuclear secrets, that's a big problem. My my sense is that uh, we we protect our nuclear secrets pretty effectively and i doubt they're as good at it as we are so i'm again i'm not overly concerned about that but the geopolitical embarrassment is not insignificant because as i said up front this first and foremost is a test of just what can they get by with with joe biden in the white house Mm. and the rest of the world's watching the same thing play out You, you know darn well that um, you know, Vladimir Putin and, and, and Kim Jong-un and, and others are going, hmm, okay, this is good to know. This is good to see. This guy's as easy, he's as big a pushover as we thought he would be. And um, the other thing, and I, I'm going to say it and I might get in some trouble, but I think the next question in your line of questions about Joe Biden is, is he compromised with, hmm. with China? Oh, Do yes. They have oh. leverage on him. This is what they're better at than anything, mm-hmm. is, is getting leverage on people. And let's face it, we all know that he's got a China problem. He's got a Hunter Biden China problem. And uh, the Chinese have used leverage against Americans for a lot less than um, what what some of the people suspect of Hunter and Joe Biden.
1: You know, that's a such a good point. We never had, when when Biden went over there, or when they met rather, uh, more than, they met in Europe, um, we never really had much of a public debriefing of that meeting. It was very interesting how little was said about what him, what he and she talked about. I mean, for example, a lot of people wanted to hear a full-throated discussion of COVID, which still sticks in our craw. And, yeah, well, uh, it should have been the first thing they talked about. Right. But, but n- none of that ever came up. And And I will say also, Senator, you know, I worked on the China trade team. There's so many questions about whether the so-called phase one China trade deal that we made has been implemented. In particular, the intellectual property theft and the forced transfer of technology from American companies to Chinese authorities, you know, those kinds of things to this, you know, that that deal is two, let's see, one, two, this is the third, no, the second anniversary we don't know whether they've implemented that. I mean, yes, asked Bob Lighthizer, for example, who was our team leader. Um, you know, he doesn't know. He'll tell you that he's yeah. not sure. Yeah. I mean, we can count well, I mean, commodities and so forth, but that those weren't right. the biggest things in that deal.
2: No, that's right. No, for, I, I sat in the front row in the White House that day as as the president right. signed the deal, and he bragged about it all, and it was all it was all good. And from a from a Farm state standpoint, the sale of soybeans is everything mm-hmm. that 's a big deal to us and at the same time um, the, th- the things you 're talking about, particularly intellectual property theft, the forcing of transfer of technology and whatnot, these are the things that that are national security issues, and these are the things that you'll ne- you can never count on them to do mm-hmm. or count on their word once they give it to you because it means nothing in fact i 've even warned our farmers as much as we love selling soybeans to to China um, you should know the first thing to do is re, uh, reverse engineer those soybeans in the genetics, and they find ways to eventually grow their own and use it against yep. you. So, yep. you know, I, I really, I'm just convinced. As, as big a market as one and a half billion hungry people are, um, we're better off finding other markets and, and creating our own, you know, domestic markets if we can. Uh,
1: let me take a quick break, Senator Kramer. I want to come back because. Um North Dakota farmland is in the crosshairs right now mm-hmm. with a potentially very bad CFIUS decision. And then maybe we can talk a little bit about the State of the Union address. We're talking to the great Kevin Kramer, Senator Kevin Kramer, uh, from the great state of North Dakota, which uh, is right smack in the middle of this uh, Chinese balloon spying espionage uh on our uh, nuclear deterrence out there in the great Midwest or the upper Midwest. I'm Kudlow. We'll be right back with Senator
0: Kramer. Larry Kudlow on 77
1: WABC. Welcome back, folks. I'm Larry Kudlow. We're here with Senator Kevin Kramer from North Dakota. So, Senator, the other thing I want to talk to you about, this is so interesting, Um, the Committee on Foreign Investment in the United States, it's called CFIUS, and it's run, it's a Treasury-led task force. I might add I sat on it for three years. Uh, it makes decisions about uh, foreign investments uh, in the United States and away from the United States, but particularly foreign investments inside the U.S. And according to an article, uh, and Elise Stefanik is on this in the House, I don't know who's on it in the Senate yet, um, the committee has cleared the way For a Chinese agriculture conglomerate, Fufang Group, to acquire 320 acres in Grand Forks, North Dakota, for the construction of a corn milling and uh, bio-fermentation plant. Now, here's the punchline. This land is a mere 12 miles from Grand Forks Air Force Base. And it goes on to say, Grand Forks is the only base in the Air Force's Air Mobility Command to host unmanned aerial systems. It is also the home to the Space Force's Space Networking Center, which, according to your colleague, Senator Hoven, is the backbone for all global U.S. military communications. Now, we don't want them near your base, I would suggest, and CFIUS should not go through with this, I would suggest, uh, because this is not really, it doesn't sound to me like this is really about Chinese food security or whatever. This is another one of these, uh, military espionage spying. And I want to add one quick thing here. I was present at the National Security Council briefing, breathtaking briefing, where the FBI showed Huawei, the telephone, the Chinese telephone company, Huawei, uh, operate these telephone poles next to U.S. military bases, Uh, a lot of this was in California, where they had the tiniest cameras on these wooden telephone poles spying. that's what the Chinese do, spy. They go into our hinterland and they spy. And now they got one cooking up here in Grand Forks, North Dakota, which is your home place. I don't know where you're from, but it's your home state. Anyway, what do you make of this? This is an amazing story. It's, it is an amazing story. I've been um, up to my
2: eyeballs in it for yeah. over a year. They oh. announced it a year ago, last November. I've been, I have been. I was the first person I, 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 with a statewide profile in North Dakota to oppose it, mm. and I was honored at the end when um, just last week the Air Force sent a letter to to me, and he, they sent a similar letter to Senator Hovind saying that it would this investment would pose a significant risk to America's national security mm. and they were unambiguous about it and with that letter we were able to stop the investment from happening mm. the problem larry is this is going on all over the country and and grant force leaders god love them they wanted this thing so badly um but God love the Grand Forks citizens who did not and they sounded the alarm and we stood shoulder to shoulder for over a year making noise about it. But CFIUS, to your point about CFIUS, CFIUS is, as you know, a, a relatively new uh, committee made up of about 15 agencies within the federal government, most of them national security ag- agencies, um, but but led by Treasury because, of course, commerce is, is what it's all about and um, CFIUS didn't green light the um, the investment so much as they punt it because after about 60 days of reviewing it, which as you know, in in, in uh, Washington days, that's several months. Mm. And so they, they spent a lot of time reviewing it and investigating it and then concluding that they didn't have jurisdiction over it. And one of the jurisdictional problems with CFIUS is agriculture is given sort of a different lane. And so the proximity to the air base, which is a very important air base. I mean, besides having the, the very first and only ground station for low-Earth orbiting satellites in the Air Force, um, they also fly a very important, you know, ISR mission, mm. they're a reconnaissance wing and there's a new generation of ISR aircraft coming to Grand Forks later this decade. So mm. in other words they do a lot, they, they, they collect a lot of data and they use a lot of data and they need a lot of data and they protect a lot of data and the Chinese love data more than they love anything else. Mm. And so this was really a bad idea from the beginning but the CFIUS process, once it began, Sort of locks everybody else out, and so, so we had to wait for CFIUS to finish their work, determine they had no jurisdiction, and then the Air Force stepped up and said, "This is this is bad." And um, you know, the Air Force's job as i often told the, the local leaders—the Air Force's job is not to make sure the Grant Force, the city, is okay. It's the, their job to mitigate risk and to protect the, the country and the free world. Yep. And they'll do that in many number of ways. We shouldn't make it difficult for them to do that.
1: So, bottom line here is CFIUS was overruled, or the, the whole idea was that the project was overruled?
2: Well, the, the, what was overruled was CFIUS's jurisdiction. So, so they came up with a conclusion oh. that this this particular investment was not jurisdictional to CFIUS. They did not green light it. In fact, after they, the, the conclusion in their order that they had no jurisdiction, many in Grand Forks and leadership who wanted this thing so badly, um, they, they just took that as a green light. The rest of us knew better, and mm. so I was able to get in the skiff with people from DOD, from from Treasury, from mm. the Air Force, and get in, get their you know get the inside scoop on all of mm. this. And the one question that they a- answered for me that I can make public is um, there's nothing in this ruling that greenlights this no, investment. Good. So. Air Force stepped up a couple of weeks later with this you know, absolutely unambiguous position that is a significant risk. So now let's hope that every other community dealing with this across the country doesn't have to go through the, a year-long
1: process. But this is what the Chinese do. I mean, they've been on a real estate binge, a buying binge, for quite some time. We've got to stop this. This is part of the things that we have to stop. You know, Senator, I was on Cipius. I mean, Steve Mnuchin ran that, Treasury Secretary. So he had me on there, NEC, he had Lighthizer on from trade. You know, he broadened it out because uh, all these security things have an economic hook, and we, you know, yes, added into it. But um, I'm glad to hear that because when I read this article, now Elise Stefanik uh, wants to have the Agriculture Department as a standing member of CFIUS. Uh I, I don't know whether in the Biden era that would matter that much, but um, conceivably it, it might. Yeah, you'd have yeah, an input. Yeah.
4: Yeah, you,
2: no, you're, it's a good point. And, and I agree with Elise, and I'm on a bill in the Senate to do the exact same thing. It mirrors their bill. Uh. And Senator Mike Rounds, your friend from South Dakota, who yeah. also has a very important strategic base there, yeah. uh, is on it as well. So uh. those of us that have farmland and military bases, we're uh. with Elise.
1: Thank you, Senator Kramer. You're always generous with your time. We appreciate it very, very much. I'm Cudlow, folks. We're going to take a quick break. On the other side of the break, we're going to have former Senator Phil Graham. I want to talk about the debt ceiling and spending cuts and the State of the Union message, so we've got plenty of work to do today. Please stick around.
0: The Larry Kudlow Show. Free market prosperity starts here. Now, here's Larry Kudlow. Welcome
1: back, folks. I'm Larry Kudlow. This is the Larry Kudlow Show. You can live stream us on the Internet. LarryKudlowShow.com. LarryKudlowShow.com. All across the country and around the world and throughout the solar system... And we welcome back to the show one of our mentors, former Senator Phil Graham of Texas. He's now an American Enterprise Institute visiting scholar. And his most recent book is called The Myth of American Inequality, How Government Biases Policy Debate. His most recent uh, Wall Street Journal op-ed with my pal Mike Solon is, Yes, Use the Debt Ceiling to Control Government Spending. As Biden and the Democrats know, it's hardly a new idea. So, Senator Graham, welcome back, sir. I want to talk to you about, before we get into the nuts and bolts of the debt ceiling and spending cuts and so forth, We um, spend a minute on the State of the Union message coming up on Tuesday. And President Biden, as I think you probably suspect, President Biden's going to say, among other things, I don't think he's going to talk about the Chinese spying balloon but he's going to talk about <laughs> <laughs> he's he's going, I, I i i i do think he's going to talk about his version of a successful economy and in fact yeah we got a good jobs number yesterday he's going to crow about that he's going to talk about how many jobs he created he said yesterday um he said he inherited inflation he inherited, which is an outright lie, uh, but he's going to talk about his successful economy and how he's reduced spending and deficits. And I just want to get your take on that. Um, what should well, how's how's this going to work? What should Republicans say about all that?
4: I don't know that it's necessary, Larry, that they say a lot. I, I think it's going to be obvious to the people of America uh, when the president is talking about this boom and prosperity, uh, working people realize their real wages today in terms of what they can buy uh, is lower than it was the day uh, that President Biden took office. Mm. Uh, It is true that we have low unemployment, but a major reason we have low unemployment is because over a million and a half workers have dropped out of the labor market uh, in response to an explosion of government benefits when they found themselves increasingly about as well off not working as they are working. If we had the same labor force participation rate, the same percentage of prime work age persons working as we did when – President Biden took office, the unemployment rate would uh, not be anywhere close to its lowest level on record. Mm. Uh, and finally, I just have to say that, you know, maybe I'm getting naive in my old age, but uh, I just don't remember the quality of public debate ever being as low as it is today. Mm. Uh, I don't remember, uh, uh, for example, uh, it's easy to talk about yourself, but let me just talk about President Reagan. Uh, President Reagan was wrong about some things, uh, but I don't ever remember him saying anything that I didn't believe that he thought was true. Hmm. I don't remember in my political career ever Uh, stating uh, a position as being fact when I knew it wasn't fact. Mm -hmm. But that now seems to be standard fare. And people just say things that that in the era where I served in public office, the media would have held you accountable. And people just wouldn't have done it.
1: I mean, remarkably...
4: Uh, oh, it's unbelievable. This,
1: uh, yesterday, uh, it, no, I beg you, it might have been Thursday. But in any case, he was asked about inflation. He had a brief presser. I think it was yesterday, but whatever. And he said um, uh, "He in, the trouble was he inherited a high inflation. In fact, he said the trouble was I inherited a terrible economy. We had high inflation. We were in deep recession uh you know Phil both of those are just lies the the inflation yeah, well, the in, the inflation rate uh in uh, at the time of his inauguration in january 2021 was 1.4 percent 1.4 percent in the next year it went to nine but 1.4 and the economy in the first quarter of 2021 grew at six and a half percent. And in fact, the whole second half of 2020, you know, after the COVID collapse in the second quarter, the economy was booming and most of the jobs were, I mean, he just flat out, I mean, I don't like to use the word lie with presidents, but what the hell, how am I supposed to say this? Well,
4: let me just compare that with Reagan's statement about the economy and remember, when he took off the inflation rate was thirteen mm-hmm. percent, and the prime interest rate was twenty one and a half percent so what did Reagan say? it's not a question of who's to blame it's a question of what to blame wow. it's a question of can we stop this spending? Mm-hmm. Can we provide incentives for people to work save, and invest um it It's just an incredible factor, but I just don't believe it's effective uh I, People are not stupid they they get confused uh they hear an argument it sounds good it turns out not to be valid, and they discover it but you you can't tell Americans something that they know from their own personal experience is not true. And not expect them to figure it out.
1: He, um, the other thing he said, uh, which is driving me crazy, um, I mean, I'm a data guy, <laughs> but still, uh, he says, well, manufacturing is back. Manufacturing is back. Well, <laughs> manufacturing is falling in recent months. The actual industrial production is falling. Manufacturing production is falling. Business equipment investment production is falling. The uh, uh, supply managers is falling. I mean, I'm not saying that – I, I don't begrudge him the jobs number yesterday, although I think there was a lot of white noise in it from seasonal adjustment and population revisions. But whatever, the labor market is holding up. I don't, I don't deny that. But, you know, manufacturing is not holding up. Consumer spending is falling the last several months. I mean, it's bizarre. And he just blathers on about this stuff. Well, let me
4: tell you, it's very, very dangerous from his point of view because the American people will forgive a president for almost anything, but the two things they won't forgive him for is not knowing what's happening Mm. or not caring. And uh, this all sounds as if he is completely out of touch with reality. So I think it's, you know, you've seen people say things and they think they're persuading people when they're actually alienating people. Mm. And uh, Mm. my guess is here that people listen to that and say, what planet is that guy from? Right. He's giving old people like me a bad name. Uh, <laughs> me too. <laughs> <laughs>
1: oh, El, oh, Lord! I could, I don't need the data for to go back in history. I just try to remember it.
4: <laughs> well, listen, uh, it's a new it's a new thing that we're facing where the media has taken sides. And so people are not held accountable. Mm-hmm. You know, I knew when I said something that most of the people in the media were trying to be objective, but they didn't agree with me philosophically. And so I had to be more careful and more persuasive to get them to cover what I was saying. It's just it, it was, the, you know, the hill on the battlefield. You don't like it, but it's there. Mm-hmm. But the idea that somebody could stand up and say something that is totally false Hmm. uh, 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 on the floor of the Senate, for example, uh, and not be called on it, uh, that could not have happened in the era where uh, Robert Byrd and I were in the Senate.
1: Hmm. Interesting point. I like the idea of not who to blame, but what to blame.
4: No, it's a wonderful concept. I kind of like He's that. so productive. Look, it, the worst thing you can do, and I, I give Reagan lots of credit because he could have spent four years blaming Jimmy Carter. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I just don't remember him blaming Jimmy Carter. Uh, uh, he uh, made the point that it's what we're doing wrong that's causing the problem. It's not who's doing it. It's what they're doing. It's what we're doing.
1: You blame government. Uh, you blame you government blame, policies.
4: Well, and you blame exactly blame government policy. Yeah. And uh, of course, Carter's deregulation, which now the Biden administration is trying to overturn, produced great. Uh, economic response, which Ronald Reagan got total credit for.
1: Actually actually started with Carter. You're right.
4: Yeah, exactly. The Carter deregulation. And
1: Ted Kennedy.
4: It was, oh, and Ted Kennedy and uh, uh, that whole movement of the 1970s -hmm. where even the liberals, uh, as they were defined in those days, Uh, said regulation has failed, it's driven up costs, it's reduced competition, it's hurting American competitiveness, and they deregulated the railroads, the trucks, Mm. they deregulated communications. Mm. We would have never had the technical revolution we had in communications Mm. without that deregulation. Now, Reagan build on it. We deregulated mm-hmm. oil and gas prices. Uh, we finished much of that work. It's now all being overturned in a regulatory tsunami. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, uh, uh, but yeah, again, it's policy. It's not people.
1: Yeah. Anyway,
4: it's re- it's, anyway, Biden's policies are bad. It's Jimmy. Biden. Jimmy Carter.
1: Policies. Jimmy Carter looks angelic to me oh, right now. Angelic. I would welcome him back. <laughs> so we're with Senator Phil Graham. I'm going to take a quick break. And I want to talk about the debt ceiling and making some structural reforms to uh, spending. We're talking to the great Senator Phil Graham, and uh, I'm Kudlow. We'll be right back, folks. Please stick around.
0: This is the Larry Kudlow Show on 77 WABC
1: welcome back everybody i'm larry kudlow i'm here with the great senator phil graham the latest book is the myth of american inequality how government biases policy debate uh phil i want to talk about your op-ed piece a couple days ago uh, um using the debt ceiling to control government spending and you point out that Since 1985, almost the last 40 years, we've had, um, that ceiling's been raised, let's see, 50 times. And riders have been adopted as part of raising the ceiling 48, 48% of the time, so half the time. And um, it was, a lot of this was uh, to cut spending. So... um, what should McCarthy do? I mean, you saw – I don't know how the meeting went. You know, it's funny. McCarthy, uh, who's become a very good politician, I think, he, he was pretty smooth when he walked out and you know faced the press after his meeting with Biden. But if you know Kevin McCarthy, I'm going to see him tomorrow, um, he looked pissed off to me. His face was kind of red. I think, I think it was a rough meeting. But in any case, uh, what should they do? What kind of structural spending reform should they go for?
4: Well, I, the first point of the article, which you touched on, Larry, is that amending the debt ceiling in an effort to control spending is certainly not something that's new. Uh, when Graham Ludman was passed, Senator Biden voted for it. Mm. Uh, it had broad bipartisan support. Uh, and uh, since Graham Ludman passed... Every time Senator Biden cast a vote on the debt ceiling with a rider, every time but one, he voted for it. Mm. So this uh, argument that how dare you uh, talk about uh, getting out the butcher knife and getting the family around the kitchen table and cutting up the credit cards uh, while the guy's knocking on the door to try to collect money you owe, how dare you suggest that this is a time to talk about addressing the problem Mm -hmm. is preposterous. Mm -hmm. Uh, But what what have Republicans got to do? They've got to pass a debt ceiling increase with their rider on it. Mm -hmm. Voting no is easy. Voting yes on a concrete program is difficult. It's called governing. Mm. And if Republicans don't govern, if they can't pass a debt ceiling with their spending restraint measures on it, what is going to happen is we're going to have a crisis and then Republicans are going to break ranks and vote with Democrats to raise the debt ceiling and to continue the spending spree. Mm. And in the last 14 years, The federal debt has tripled. Mm. So something needs to be done. What I propose in the article uh, is a simple program to claw back all of the unspent balances from that $6 trillion spending orgy, where we spent more in two years than government had ever spent in three, that would claw that money back. Uh, And there's about two hundred fifty and fifty five billion left that we end the pandemic. Now, the president says he's going to do it uh, in May, but it's not clear exactly what he's going to do. But you need to realize the president has used the pandemic to spend almost a trillion dollars. And we need to rein in. Uh, the power of the president to use emergency declarations uh, to gain po- the power of the purse. If you go, I go through the list in the article about we've added 20 million people to uh, Medicare and S-CHIP. Uh, we've doubled uh, food stamp spending, all in the name of the emergency. Well, the emergency been over for over a year, and yet, the president keeps extending the emergency any way any excuse to spend more money which is extraordinary to me uh, uh, the administration seems to have no bottom line they Met- want to get everything they can get as quickly as they can get and then they'll let somebody else worry about how to pay for
1: it medicaid chips s chips no no work requirements all been waived all been waived.
4: There's
1: no law. I mean, now, that's you know,
4: it was a great Democrat reform. Mm-hmm.
1: President
4: Clinton signed that bill.
1: Mm-hmm. They ought to expand the list of social welfare programs, benefit so programs. That. You know, that. right? Because that's a fair way. Look, it's, it's not too much to ask able-bodied people to go to work. It's you know, look, we're a generous country. We will help them out when they need help um but now covid is over, emergency's passed, and they got to start looking for work, so there have to be restrictions on these programs. I mean, I I think when you put it in that way, Phil, uh, you know, common sense people will support it. They'll say, so, "Yeah, they ought to they ought to look for work. We'll help them when they need it, but not forever." This is forever.
4: Well, well we're now Providing about $50,000 to the average household in the bottom 20% of income earners. Mm-hmm. And they're about, is we, we've elevated them into middle income America. Mm-hmm. And if we don't have a work requirement, many of them have clearly uh, uh, stopped working. The, the right. labor force participation rate among mm-hmm. prime work age is
1: down from 68% to 36%. Thank you, Senator Phil Graham. We love you. Thank you very much, sir. I'm WABC.
0: Free market prosperity starts here. Now, here's Larry Kudlow. All
1: right, welcome back, everybody. I'm Larry Kudlow. We're going to talk about the jobs report, big report, 517,000 turn off my appliances here so I can hear myself think. Anyway, plus 517,000 non-farm payrolls, a big surprise to everybody. Uh, is it real? Well, I don't know. It could be real. We're going to talk. We're going to ask Mike Falkander, who's a professor of finance at the University of Maryland. And he's also the chief economist of the America First Policy Institute. And he was the Assistant Secretary for Economic Policy at the U.S. Treasury during the Trump administration. Mike Valkander, welcome back. How are you?
5: I'm doing well, Larry. It's great to be with you again.
1: You know, before I get to the jobs number, uh, one of my bones to pick, not with you, but with the current occupant of the White House, and I mentioned this to Phil Graham, former Senator Phil Graham, a few moments ago. But Biden did it again uh, on Friday. I think it was Friday. He said, "Well, I inherited high inflation," and like, no, you didn't. The inflation rate when you took office was one point four percent. In fact, Mike, you're, you're the numbers guy, but I'm a numbers guy too. Here, here's the deal: in 2019, the inflation, the CPI was one point eight percent. This is calendar year average, Mike Faulkner. 2019, one point eight percent. 2020 1.2 percent. Okay, those are the two years. By January 21, when Biden comes off office, the CPI is 1.4 percent. Now, throughout 21, Biden's first year in office, it jumps to 4.7, and last year 22. This is county year average. It jumps to eight. It got as high as, I go, nine and change on a 12-month basis. And presently, it's 6.5 on the 12 months to December, the last observation. So he tells me he inherited high inflation. What is he talking about, Mike Faulkender? Let me
5: add you some more numbers in there. The the monthly inflation rate, so if we, if we instead of going the 12-month number, just look at the monthly numbers. They were, they were running 0.3%. Per month After we reopened from the pandemic, right? Mm. So the pandemic itself was deflationary. We reopen. You know, when you turn everything back on, you're bound to get a, a small bit of inflation. We were only running 0.3 per month for those six months or so prior to, to Biden coming into office. Mm. In March of 2021, it doubled the 0.64% per month and stayed there mm. for many months after that. It was it was in perfectly timed with when they pass the American Rescue Plan, right? When you go and you tell the households out in the United States, they're about to have two trillion more come into their pockets, they've got a lot more money, but we don't have more output, what is the natural outcome? You're going to get inflation. And the data, the monthly data show a, a very specific shift right around the time of the passage of the American Rescue Plan. So when he says, when, when Biden says that he inherited inflation, that's just a fabrication.
1: Well, he also said, remember, all of last year, no, no, all of 21, 2021, and probably into early 22, he used to always say that um when he became president, there were no vaccines for COVID. Now, we could debate whether the vaccines are good or bad, but I'm just saying he completely denied, he and his wife, Both were vaccinated in late 2020, but he used to say the shelves were bare, no vaccines, and I had to bring in millions of vaccines, and I did. Completely lying about Operation Warp Speed. I mean, it's typical. Then he says, again, I think this was yesterday, Mike Falken he says, I brought back manufacturing, I brought back manufacturing. So I went back and looked at the numbers. The industrial production numbers and the manufacturing numbers are slumping badly right now. In fact, the ISM for manufacturing is slumping badly. What's he talking about?
5: Absolutely. And remember, during the Trump administration, prior to the pandemic, we brought back a
1: half a million manufacturing jobs.
5: I know. (laughs) We we had a blue-collar boom under the Trump administration because of the types of policies that we engaged in that once again encouraged companies to do manufacturing in the United States. So, no, he has a pattern. President Biden has a pattern of just making up facts whenever making up these lies whenever the facts don't serve his agenda so whether it's the existence of a vaccine whether it's manufacturing jobs whether it's inflation i also don't understand how he squares the idea that there was already inflation when he came into office but i thought it was transitory
1: oh yeah transitory forgot about transitory didn't we first he said there was first by the way he said there was no inflation that was his first point Then it got to be transitory. (laughs) Then it got to be a problem, (laughs) right?
5: And then it became, and then it became Putin's price hike. And now it's
2: inherited.
3: You know,
5: (laughs) we're going to just keep changing. We're going to keep revising history because you know it's it's no longer convenient. But we see that across the board in the policies and the statements that are coming out of this White House.
1: Yeah. We're going to see it again at the State of the Union on Tuesday night. Mark my words, it's going to be the same thing. And then we'll criticize them for it. So what did you think about the jobs report? You know, one of the things that
5: struck me about it is if you look at the not seasonally adjusted.
1: Yeah, I've, Yeah, go ahead.
5: It fell two and a half million, which is and, and the issue is that normally in January you would lose about three million jobs because of the temporary hiring that takes place during the holiday season. And so what happened is, is that instead of there being three million layoffs, there were only two and a half million layoffs. And so after the seasonal adjustment, it looks like we gained a half a million jobs. Mm. Right. M- my kind of hypothesis about the entire jobs market recently is that we're suffering from a labor shortage. And mm. so a lot of the historical ways of thinking about jobs reports perhaps are not accurate any longer. Mm. And so what I'm saying by that is we've known for months from the JOLTS report that there's an enormous demand for labor. And the reason that companies are only hiring, I say only, 200,000 per month is what we were seeing at the end of 2022 is because we weren't finding workers. Well, if there's, you know, two and a half million temporary job workers who are working holiday season, who are about to, you know, no longer be needed because we're through, we're done with the holidays. That means there's all those workers out there that can find other jobs. Hmm. So I, I think that it's coming from this, I, I think we have a labor shortage and that we're going to see different patterns of of job outcomes. We, we need to differently interpret the jobs reports. And what this tells me, if you look at the non-seasonally adjusted numbers, is there are a couple million people out there who were working in December that are still available for work. So we could see a, a couple of more good jobs reports, given the number of, of job openings that are out there. Look, neither the of other us. Another thing that struck me, though, is that, is that wage growth was only 0.3%. Yeah,
1: Yeah, let's talk about that. That's where I was going. And 4.4, Mike Faulkender, 4.4 for the last 12 months, which is still well below the inflation rate. The CPI through December is 6.5. We'll get a new number in January, but it's not going to be below 6. So real wages are still falling, aren't they? They are. I mean, that's, Uh, you know, for working folks, that's a big problem.
5: Yeah, I have every reason to believe that the monthly inflation number is going to come in right around the 0.3% range as well. And so that means that for the month of January, we're again going to have a wash, mm-hmm. right? I mean, it, um, because shelter prices seem to still be climbing. What what brought down the inflation number in December was that gas prices had fallen. Well, gas prices didn't fall in January. Mm. So I would not at all be surprised to see a headline number on the CPI report in that. range that's going to match hourly earnings, which means that, again, workers didn't make any progress. Mm. Um, And if you look at just the quarterly, like the uh, employment cost index number for the quarter was still 1%, which means the Fed is still, you know, we're we're seeing wage growth twice at the Fed's target, which means the Fed's probably not done either because you're not seeing negative implications in jobs reports yet we're still not back to a, a 2% inflation number. And if that's the case, I think the Fed's going to keep tightening at these slower rates. But, at, you know, at the 25 basis point amount, they're not going to be doing 50 bits per meeting. But if I were on the board of governors right now, if I were on the FOMC, the data suggests that they need to keep tightening. Yeah.
1: Yeah, the employment cost numbers more or less – on a 12-month change, are running about five percent. Of course, the other numbers: uh, productivity fell quite a bit. Unit labor costs are going up. It's not a great picture. I mean, look, you and I are not against jobs. I mean, we're for the jobs. Um, question is, though, why not spend less, tax less, and regulate less, and have some, you know, let's grow the supply side of the economy. I mean, that's why I'm. I mentioned the manufacturing thing. I mean. President Biden can say whatever he wants to say, but the data show that there's a big slump in manufacturing. And it's been a slump for quite some time, but in recent months, it's deteriorated. Um, so we're not getting, you know, business is not investing, and uh, we're not producing what we should be producing. And I think that is a function of bad government policies, Mike Faulkner. I mean, I think that's still the issue here.
5: I agree with you entirely. I think that the more that the Biden administration mandates businesses engage in certain activities, the less productive activity in which they're going to be engaged. The more that employment is government employment mm. instead of private sector employment, that's going to be less productive. So is it that we're not putting workers into the most productive activities and instead we're putting them into government directive activities? And as a result, we're not getting anywhere near the output that we could potentially have gotten from that same amount of labor. And if that's the case, we're not going to see the growth, we're not going to see the output, and that's just going to continue to lead to the stagflation that we have been
1: realizing over the last couple of years. You know, I'm just looking at the employment uh, sheets here. You mentioned government. So government added 74,000, and that is the third biggest Category no, the four. The biggest category was leisure, hundred twenty-eight. Uh, of course, education and health—that's government, isn't it? It is <laughs> one hundred five thousand. So you really should put it together. The other one that jumped up was professional and business services, eighty-two thousand. Then that's healthy, that's good. But that's an interesting—you know, education and health. I mean, that's predominantly government. So actually, they right. If
5: it's not direct government employment, it's certainly highly. Uh, paid for by the government. So
1: So what do you think in terms of the recession debate, Mike Faulkner? What do you think about that? You know, as we've
5: talked about before on your TV show, the consumer looks like they're pulling back, right? So if you look at the retail sales numbers from both November and December, if you look at the consumer sentiment numbers, if you look at the credit card debt that's out there, if you look at the savings rate, all of that suggests that the consumers are starting to run out of money, which means they likely are going to need to pull back if Mm. they've not already started. Mm. You see that there's a decline in in housing starts, right? So because of the huge increase in borrowing costs in in the mortgage market, you see business investment is down. So your your major categories that would normally go into our measures of economic output would suggest that we're on the verge of recession, and yet there are 11 million job openings. Mm. That's the disconnect. I think that's where so many – you Know, economists and forecasters are struggling. Is that we look at what seem to be headwinds for output demand, and yet businesses are not cutting
1: back on hiring. Mm. And so mm. labor may be cheap back? in real terms, labor may be cheap anyway. Mike Falkendor, I got to jump. Uh, former uh, assistant secretary of the treasury for economics, we appreciate your inputs. Um, Folks, we're going to take a quick break. I'm Cudlow, and on the other side of the break, we're going to talk to Cash Patel, former National Security Director. This balloon is now over North Carolina. How about that? For some stay with us. We're going to follow the balloon right off the edge of the Earth. I'm
0: Cudlow. This is the Larry Cudlow Show.
1: Welcome back, folks. I'm Larry Cudlow. Let's bring in my pal Cash Patel, former Chief of Staff to the Secretary of Defense and former Senior Director of Counterterrorism at the National Security Council. Cash, welcome. Thanks for giving us some time. Uh, this um, espionage balloon is now over North Carolina, according to uh, the latest from Fox News. Um, why wasn't this shot down several days ago? Why still haven't they shot it down? What is, what is your take on uh, why the uh, Defense Department keeps saying, don't do it, don't do it?
6: Hey, Larry, thanks so much for having me back on. And this is just another example of the Biden administration's politicization of the national security apparatus. You know, when we were at the Trump White House, we wouldn't even be having this conversation. It would have been a three-second conversation, President Trump's saying, shoot that down Mm. before it hits the territorial waters of the United States of America, let alone our landscape. My problem with this is that they are making – the DOD is making decisions based on what the headlines and policies would look like in a political election cycle, rather than from a national security defense standpoint. Make no mistake, the CCP, their number one enemy is the United States of America and vice versa when it comes to so many factors, not just national security. Putting up a balloon like this is a monumental concern because it's an intelligence collection apparatus, period. That's what it's doing. It's mining for data and information about American land and American people and American infrastructure. And what's worse is it's probably – it could be what we call a feint in military parlance, which is the CCP would probably just float a balloon so that the world stares at this big red balloon in the sky while they uh, conduct a cyber intrusion of our infrastructure, which they've done things like that in the past before. Mm-hmm. So right now they are winning on both fronts, the propaganda front and the intrusion into our American national security front.
1: I mean, uh, we <laughs> – we really have, you know. It's funny the I understand diplomatic language. I understand we pulled Blinken from going over there, blah blah blah. But we really haven't pasted them. We haven't really blasted them. We haven't had a full scale. I mean, Biden. I don't know has Biden actually said anything about this publicly?
6: He has made no comments about it publicly. Right, um, and I've been which is receiver, Shley, And you're right, right. What? You know, even from just an economic standpoint, he could have done something. You're the you're the expert there. Nothing, nothing on tariffs or nothing like that we did in the Trump administration.
1: Well, do you know that's an interesting point? Uh, there's a discussion right now about pulling some of the Trump tariffs, which is just the wrong approach from a trade yeah. deficit standpoint, but from also these things are all related from a security standpoint. Why would we reward them? Um, you know, we should have a blanket, uh, st- a blanket. Uh, stopping of any purchases of farmland. We should have thrown TikTok formally out of the country, that kind of stuff. Blast them. I mean, the good thing about Trump was when you know when Trump set his mind to it, it was, um, you know, Katie barred the door. I mean, Biden hasn't said a word.
6: Not only has he not said a word, <clears throat> you know, China and the CCP is flexing their muscle over the United States of America on the global stage just like Putin did when he invaded the Ukraine. You know, is China's next move anything to do with Taiwan or their dominance in the South China Sea, uh, where they're flexing their superiority? So they're doing it around the globe and against American national security interests. And the deafening silence from the current commander-in-chief is troubling, not from a political standpoint, but from a nation standpoint, as to what are you doing to take on these world leaders? He hasn't even called, as far as I know, Xi Jinping to say, what is going on Um, Is this a mistake? And if it's not, get this thing out of our airspace before we shoot it down. I mean, they're doing none of that. I mean, you have guys like Mark Milley, who's the chairman of the Joint Chiefs, who used to work for me at DOD, who is publicly acknowledged saying he would call his counterpart. Would the Americans ever do anything to invade Chinese interests? These are the people advising Joe Biden, and they're collectively doing it based on a political nature. And the biggest thing they've done, which is the most tragic, is. They've literally set out national security policy on the following. What did Trump do or would he do? We're going to do the opposite. Yeah. And that's just not how you defend a nation.
1: You know, I'm just thinking. So, uh, I mean, I'm sitting here in a radio booth, but I'm reading this stuff. Um, it's being, it's being uh, reported that, they're over, that this uh, balloon's over North Carolina. So here's a question. I mean, so let's say it goes out to sea. Do you think we'd shoot it down then? I mean, I don't it isn't clear to me what exactly our security people think is the right thing to do. Having missed all these I mean, they should have stopped it when it was going towards Alaska cash patel. Yeah. Right? And uh oh, absolutely. whatever That's bodies great. of water, right? They could have stopped it there. I mean, in Montana, they could have stopped at Montana because there aren't any people in Montana. My wife's from Montana. I mean, we know all about Montana. There's nobody living in Montana. And now it's over North Carolina, and it's probably going to go out to sea in the Atlantic. I don't know. whether they are going to take it down there or what?
6: Well, there's no direction. I mean, you know what we would have done. We would have taken out it out over the Aleutian Islands when it hit the territorial waters of the United States of America. But here's the other point. If they don't take it down, which looks like they won't. We will lose a valuable intelligence collection opportunity ourselves mm-hmm. because we could then gain um, insight into who made this, how they made it, what capabilities are there, the SIGINT uh, platform, what type of intelligence are they collecting? We could gain a lot of information, but I'm sure based on Joe Biden's inaction here, he's going to let the thing float all the way back to, to mainland China. And that's just another loss. I mean, this thing literally, Larry, just put it into perspective for your audience. We've had a balloon from the CCP, fly from Alaska all the way to the eastern seaboard, <laughs> and we've done nothing about it. Could you imagine? No, done nothing. Under the Trump administration. Done we, nothing. We and wouldn't s- be
1: having this conversation. Done nothing and said nothing. <laughs> Trump would have been tweeting. <laughs> <laughs> not, not, uh, but, you know, it's a, you're right. It's a lost opportunity. Look, don't we have the capacity to take control of this thing, instead of shooting it down. I mean, look, we could, you know, send Lauren Bobert, pull out her Glock, and shoot it. But, <laughs> but maybe we, what we want to do is capture it and bring it down, so we can examine the technology there, you know, at the bottom of that thing, as you say, and see if there's any uh, intel. Uh, don't we have the capacity to capture it and gradually bring it down? I thought we did.
6: Yeah, you know what, Larry? We're the United States of America, right. and we
1: have, as the former chief of
6: staff of DOD, we have every capacity to go and bring this thing down. If that's what we wanted to do, to capture it, to take it down over territorial seas, yeah. we have so many options that we are just not exercising because this commander in chief wants to do zero.
1: All right, Cash Patel, thanks for your time very much. We appreciate it, folks. We're going to take a little bit of a break. On the other side of the break, we're going to do some stock market work. Maybe talk about the economy a little bit, talk about jobs, talk about earnings, talk about technology. I'm Kudlow. We're going to talk about all kinds of things. We're looking for a balloon now. It's over North Carolina.
0: It's the Larry Kudlow Show. Free market prosperity starts here. Now, here's Larry Kudlow.
1: Welcome back, folks. I'm Larry Kudlow. This is the Larry Kudlow Show. And um, I put a plug in, join us during the week. Fox Business Network. The name of the show is Kudlow, 4 to 5 p.m. every day, Monday through Friday. If you can't make it at 4, why just uh, text your favorite 9-year-old? We'll teach you how to DBR the show. And right here, you can get us on the Internet, live stream it, LarryKudlowShow.com, LarryKudlowShow.com, throughout the country, around the world, and the solar system, and through the Milky Way. And... um we even have a little connection on the Chinese balloon, which is now running through North Carolina. And still, American forces haven't touched it yet. So we'll see what happens there. But we're here to talk about stocks, unless my guests want to talk about the Chinese balloons. Perfectly okay with me. On the other hand, we have Stephanie Link, Chief Investment Strategist at High Tower Advisors and Head of Investment Solutions, and Kenny Polkari, Case Capital Advisors, and uh, Slate Stone Wealth. Welcome, kids. Um, I want to talk about this strong stock market year-to-date, particularly the NASDAQ, which is up almost 15%. The S&P 500 up almost 8%. Uh, the Dow a little bit less. And this past week, the NAS was up 385. The S&P was up uh, 66 so there's a lot of earnings warnings, but the market has done very well. The Fed is tightening, the market has done very well. The curve is inverted, the market has done well. the M2 money supply is crashing, the, the market is doing very well, etc, etc, etc. So Stephanie, what do you make of this? The surprise <laughs> What's going on here? Yeah.
7: Well, I think we were deeply oversold after last year um, being down 18% on the S&P and 33% on the NASDAQ, and also fixed income locked double digits as well. So really negative sentiment headed into this year. And as we've progressed through the year so far, it's early, but I'm hearing more and more people talking about soft landing um, because the economic data, some parts are really bad, but some parts are not bad at all, right? So we know manufacturing is terrible. We know, look, all the ISM, PMIs, the regional series, I check it out. Even new orders are terrible. Housing, we know, is bad, uh, although I'm going to argue that I think housing is getting close to bottoming. But we got permits last year down 30%, and that is a leading indicator. So housing, bad for now. And, of course, then we had the the, the, uh, disappointing retail sales numbers, which fell 1.1% month over month in the last report. Okay, that's the bad, but the good is jobs. Right? I mean, we had a, an outstanding non farm payroll number yesterday with inline wages. So, wages are not accelerating, at least at the moment. And so, people are thinking, okay, good jobs, wages are under control. And maybe the Fed, we're in like the ninth inning of the Fed. And even if we are in the ninth inning of the Fed, uh, raising rates, I, I think they're going to have to stay higher for longer because I just look at that core PCE number at 4.4%. It's just too high. And then if you listen to what Powell had to say, yeah, we're seeing disinflation in goods and, and a pipeline of disinflation in housing services, but core services, ex-housing is still too high. So I think this is kind of wishful thinking on soft landing. I am in the camp that we're going to slow. Maybe we can engineer a soft landing. So I don't want to be too negative, especially given the sentiment. But it's a tough year so far, Larry. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna. Um, you know, mince words. It's it's been a challenge for sure.
1: Well, let me ask you a question. You you laid out all the bads, but you had one really big good, which was yesterday's jobs report. Mm-hmm. Um, with all those bads, does that undermine the credibility of the good? I mean, the good came out of the blue. Some people are saying you had um, a shift in. Uh, you know, that the they benchmarked the jobs reports uh, annual benchmarking seasonal adjustments were updated population controls were reestimated i'm just thinking uh i don't want to diminish it i have nothing against jobs i'm glad more people are working although their real wages continue to fall but the fact is there you know you're right there were a lot of bads and then there's this good so does yeah. the bads raise credibility about the good. I'm just interested. Well,
7: well I think that, I think jobs are, are very important. Um, and so I think it's not just jobs, right? And it's jobs across the board. It's JOLTS, it's initial claims it's across the board. Um, wages remain high, strong. Inflation is coming down, even though it's still too high for the Fed. Inflation mm-hmm. is coming down, right? Look at gasoline prices down. Look at net gas prices are down. You know, look at CPI, CPI, all that stuff. So if inflation is coming down and wages remain elevated, that's pretty good for real incomes for the consumer. And the consumer is hanging in there. Services remain strong. And that we know is 73 percent of CPI and all that. So but it's also 70 percent of our economy. So the consumer is hanging in because of the jobs. And that's why it's so important, because the consumer is such a big piece to the economy.
1: What do you think, Kenny Polkari? You you agree with all that? (laughs)
8: Uh, You know, (laughs) I'm sitting here and I'm mixed about it, right? I love how Stephanie's uh, uh, analysis is. I agree with with her on some parts of it. But look, when you think about uh, inflation coming down, it's coming down in places that don't affect you every day. Used car prices are coming down. Housing is coming down. But how often are you buying a car and how often are you buying a house, number one? Number two, when you go to the supermarket, things things that you need are still – butter, all that stuff. Utilities. The utility rates are up. You know, my utility rate went up 18%. My payment went up 40%. Even though nat gas is coming down, my utility bill is not going to come down. So those are entrenched increases now that I think the Fed is concerned about and that everyday Americans are concerned about, right? And I'm not trying to paint this horrendous picture because the market is acting very well. And I, and as a long, I am a long-term bull, and I do think the market is trading on clearly the future, not trading on the current. But I have to ask that big report yesterday a lot of it was returning rail strikers those are not new jobs that mm. were created those are jobs that were that have been there that were on hold because they were striking now they come back into the workforce and it suddenly you know sends them the number higher and i'm not and i'm not saying that's a bad thing i'm glad people are back to work but i do think it poses a problem for the fed because while they are successful in bringing some prices down in parts of the economy. I still think they're very concerned, and I think that was clear now in retrospect after you saw yesterday's report, what J.J. and the other Fed members keep saying, that rates are going to continue to move up and then stay up for longer than people expect. Mary Daly just reiterated that point yesterday.
2: Mm.
8: Um, I don't think, you know, I, I think this whole, oh, the Fed's going to pause and pivot in 2023, I think that's a misguided argument. I don't see how they could do that because, when they pivot, they're suggesting the economy's weak and it needs stimulation. It clearly doesn't like it needs stimulation
1: to me. Do you have an electric stove or a gas-burning stove? No. I'm <laughs> I just... Florida,
8: so I have an electric stove. When I was in New York, I had a propane, which I love, but uh, no, I don't have a gas-burning
1: stove. Yeah, we just moved apartments, but we have an electric stove. I'm trying to figure out which is cheaper. I think the I think the gas-burning stove would be cheaper now than the electric-burning stove. A thousand percent, it's going to be cheaper. A thousand percent. By the way, how many um, railroad strikers came back? I hadn't heard that. That's a good point. I forgot all about that. How, yeah, I have the number. I
8: don't know exactly. Maybe Stephanie knows. But that was a that was a significant part of yesterday's number.
1: Oh, I didn't hadn't seen that. That's very insightful. I had not seen that. But I mean, it is true. Um, businesses want. I mean, you've got eleven million uh, job openings from the JOLTS report and the quit and the quit rate is still pretty high uh so there's strength in that it's just an odd story to me uh all the stuff all the bads that stephanie described it's stuff that i've been reporting myself you know last november december consumers were down uh manufacturing was down housing's always down and then you get this uh, blockbuster five hundred and seventeen thousand How come the stock market didn't even move on it, stuff? I mean, it barely moved on it. I don't know what it did yesterday. Um, it, was, it was it was down one twenty eight. Yeah,
7: yeah, it wasn't a lot. I mean, it, it it's because the job number, even if you adjust for the seasonality, it's still looking at like three hundred thousand, right? right, on non farm payrolls. So right. maybe not five, maybe not five seventeen, but right. it's still a pretty hot number. But I think it really had to do with the wages uh, coming in at three tenths, not accelerating month over month, four point four percent down from four six. So I, I think that it fits into that what I'm what I'm calling a lot of people on that soft landing bandwagon. Mm. Um, I'm not in. I mean, I'm not in the the, the the doom and gloom camp. I just don't think the Fed is going to look at this number and change anything of what. Their thought processes and their actions are, and so yeah, like Kenny said, we're going to stay at about five. Is it five one? Is whatever it is, it's going to be high for longer. Here's the thing, though. Right. I mean, we put in, and you guys know this. Congress spent 22 percent of GDP in COVID relief over the last two years, just two years. I'm not even counting that to to to, to 20. The the Fed balance sheet we know exploded, so there is still stimulus in the system, believe it or not, and it's it's still going to help us. And that's why I'm saying there—it's not all gloom and doom. There are some good things that are happening, um, and it's just going to take a while for that all to wear itself out. Um, and and then we'll have to see what the what the implications are in terms of higher interest rates. Let me just say you mentioned jolts. Yeah, I mean obviously jolts are, are 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 very strong at 11 million. There's two job openings for every one unemployed person. If and and ADP posted wage numbers of seven percent on average this yep. past week. Yep. And and if you switch if you switch a job you get fifteen percent. Mm-hmm. So I'm just saying like consumers in a little bit better shape for now. We'll have to see how it all plays out though.
1: Yeah, well that's I mean it's it's kind of a mixed bag. I want to ask another thing. Mm-hmm. Um, people are talking about uh financial conditions easing and that's running because interest rates have fallen back. The ten years, you know, back to three and a half percent, actually somewhat less than three and a half percent. I think the peak was around four and a quarter percent or even higher. But let me just posit this. Um if you take the uh inflation protection, the two year uh tips, the two year tips two point three four percent. Okay, that's the CPI break evens, two point three four percent. Use that as a as a as a proxy the fed funds rate is i'm going to call it four and three quarters so four and three quarters minus 234 that gives you a real rate of about 2.4 percent in other words real rates have gone up at least in the short end of the curve and that's tight money so even though some financial you know some rates have fallen real rates actually are rising for the first time in quite a while, and I'd say score one for the Fed—they're getting what they want. Kenny? Yeah, no, I—I I think they
8: are, and I think that's going to start to uh, permeate, and then and then and then uh, become more evident, right, as we move along. Look, I was talking to somebody uh, the other day who was talking about his his heloc loan, which is a which is a, a floating rate. Has gone from one percent to closer to six percent now, and so he's feeling that number. Mm-hmm. Those are real rates that are starting to mm-hmm. that are starting to hit. I don't think I don't think we're talking enough about that as well as part of the part of the economy that's going to hit people. But yes, to your point, I think the Fed is making some progress. I think that is going to start to really show itself, and I think that's going to be a, a, a headwind for stocks as we move forward, which is why I still think I'm in 70s camp that it's not necessarily going to be. You know, this great easy year, even though the market feels like it got up to a great start in January, we've got 11 more months to go, right?
1: Well, I know. I look forward to those 11 months. Every day is an important day, (laughs) one day at a time. The Cudlow Trust is very happy with even small rallies. I mean, I talk about stocks for the long run. For me, I don't know what the long run is anymore, but. Hope springs eternal. We are talking to Stephanie Link of High Tower Advisors and Investment Solutions and Kenny Polcari of Case Capital Advisors and Slade Stone Wealth. I'm Kudlow. We're going to be right back with some stock recommendations. Please stick around.
0: This is The Larry Kudlow Show on 77 WABC. Now back to The Larry Kudlow Show. Welcome back,
1: folks. I'm Larry Kudlow. We're talking stocks. Stephanie Link. Uh, high tower advisors, investment solutions, Kenny Polkary, case capital advisors, and Slade Stone Wealth. You know, I just, I want to, actually, all the, if you use the break evens, the CPI break even, so that's the expected inflation rate, right? So the 10 year tips, 220, and the 10 year is 350. So in other words, real rates on that basis, not actual inflation, because the CPI is still whatever the CPI is, 6.5% year on year. But still, the expected inflation, you know, you've got higher real rates. I'm just pointing that out. And by the way, uh, Kenny Pokeri, commodities got slaughtered this week. Gold down 3%, silver down 5 crude oil down 8%, nat gas down 23%, copper down 45 CRB futures down four. I mean, there's a wholesale slaughter of commodities. What's going on there?
8: Well, I think the commodities are also reacting to, uh, we've seen a decline in the dollar, you know, that inverse relationship between the dollar and, commodities, right? Now, the dollar rallied a little bit uh, on Friday on the back of what's expected to be the report. But as the dollar gets weaker, commodities will, I mean, as the dollar gets stronger now, which is now it's expected to do, then the commodities are going to start to get weaker again. And I think that's part of what you saw. I think oil is a separate story. While it does respond to the the strengthening dollar, I think there's there's a separate demand story going on with oil. But when you talk about some of the other commodities, Um, like gold, that took a big hit. But gold has rallied significantly on the assumption that the Fed was going to be successful and that rates were going to stop going up. I think on Friday, we learned that rates were not necessarily going to stop going up. And so gold is going to take uh, as pulled back a little bit. And I think that's what you're going to see in some of these other commodity names now as the dollar. If the dollar starts to strengthen again, you're going to see more of a pullback in the coins. Now, if it stops, uh, then I think you'll see commodities stabilize and then start to move up. Because I'm still bullish on uh, gold for the year and other commodities. I think they're going to move higher as the year goes out. But, you know, initially, from a trading perspective, they'll respond to what happens and, you know, what the Fed is saying and what the dollar's reaction is to what the Fed is saying.
1: Well, it could be the dollar finally stabilized because Jay Powell had – he still has some hair on his chest Wednesday. Yeah. I'm sort of Volker. Volcker. I'm a tough guy. i got hair on my chest. Stephanie Link, what's doing with um, uh, technology? Uh, a lot of those big companies uh, had earnings misses, but uh, the Nasdaq has done very well year to date, and uh, Nasdaq was up again this week. Uh, let's see, it was Thursday, I think. You had all those um, moonlight trading 4 p.m. announcements. A whole bunch of them were disappointing. What's going on with tech? What's your outlook?
7: Yeah, I think um tech it's absolutely rotation and it goes back to a lot of people believe the fed is going to stop at, you know, 5 whatever sort of kind of number and and then just pivot. And I don't I'm not in that camp, but that's why if you think rates are coming down You can own long-duration assets, right? The whole reason they 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 underperformed last year is because rates were going higher, and that hurts long-duration assets, and tech and growth is they are both long-duration. So I think it's just a rotation. I think it's a reversion to the mean, and i got to tell you, I mean, I was on every one of those calls on Thursday, Apple, Google, Amazon, a couple weeks ago, Microsoft. They're seeing cloud deceleration like they've never seen before. That's number one. And then number two, they are all, Stay at home beneficiaries and they spent like drunken sailors, and now they're going to have to lower costs. And they are, but they're behind the eight ball on cost. Let, let, let me give you an example. So, Meta reported, and actually, that one was a decent number. Um, and they announced back in November a 13% decline in their headcount 11,000 people. Well, to put that in perspective, for the prior four quarters, Larry, they hired 19,000 people. Mm. So what are they doing here right like they have much more to go and that's and and, and because cloud is decelerating so rapidly that's why these companies have to cut so so dramatically. Apple might be a little different story because they have supply issues and, and they've got a $2 billion install base, so it's a very powerful story. It's, it's just that none of these companies, none of these stocks are cheap. If I'm going to go anywhere in tech, it'll be semiconductors. They were the first to go down about a year ago because of double and triple ordering. I think they are starting to rally as inventories are getting worked down. One last thing that I know you and I haven't talked about in a long time, I'm actually pretty encouraged by what I'm seeing in revisions in growth Internationally, oh. so you saw the IMF, the IMF rose uh, GDP to two point nine percent for the eurozone. Hmm. They ra- rose raised it to five point two in China. DOJ hmm. is raising numbers that might be a little bit of a tailwind to offset the slowdown that we're going to see here.
1: Kenny Palkary, favorite trades right now? Last minute. You, last minute. Uh, yeah, listen,
8: besides my, my stuff that people need, Trace, I'm really wading back into the artificial intelligence space because I think it's very exciting. Look at what's happening with things like ChatGPT. I think that is clearly mm. the future and I have to have exposure to uh, artificial intelligence as well as, you know, kind of names in the cybersecurity uh, 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 space. Because I think those also got unnecessarily beaten up last year, and I think there's big opportunity there.
1: Cybersecurity, you know, that Chinese spy balloon. There you go. <laughs> old-fashioned, little old-fashioned cybersecurity. But it could be a head fake. This is unbelievable. Software. Somebody's got to knock that thing down. Anyway, kids, thank you ever so much. Stephanie Link, I appreciate it. Kenny Polkari, I appreciate okay. it. Folks, stick around. i got Liz Peek and Steve Moore, Money Politics. What's Joe Biden going to say in the State of the Union? He thinks the State of the Union's fabulous. I'm just cut low.
0: Trunk Radio 77 WABC. This is the Larry Kudlow Show.
1: All right, welcome back, everybody. I'm Larry Kudlow. We're going to do some Money in Politics with Liz Peake, Fox News contributor, syndicated columnist, and Steve Moore, Freedom Works and Committee to Unleash Prosperity, and the WABC radio show called More Money, which is coming right up. Also, the author of GovZilla. So, kids, welcome. So I want to talk about, um, I'm not going to talk about the balloon. By the way, Biden just said we're going to take care of it. So it's all as well. He said that uh, 29 minutes ago um, on day four of the (laughs) balloon story. So who said the Chinese are smarter than we are? (laughs) You could send Lauren Bovert up there with her clock to shoot it down. Anyway, um, I want to talk about State of the Union. I'm going to start with you, Liz Peek, because Joe Biden is going to, paint a very positive, happy picture. And you've seen it just in the last couple days. He's talking about how strong the economy is, jobs. He was talking about how strong manufacturing is. He was saying, you know, inflation's coming down. And, by the way, it wasn't his fault. He inherited inflation. That's the latest. He inherited inflation. I don't think he's going to talk about the Chinese balloon, but he's going to talk about the very strong economy. And um, I want to get your take on that. How's that? How's that going to work for him?
9: Well, look. I, I think Joe Biden, poor Joe Biden, has this remarkable <laughs> jobs number in January, which is then totally overwhelmed by this spy balloon floating <laughs> across the country that the administration's known about for days. But I know we're not going to talk about that. Uh, you can look, talk
1: about I, it if you have some insight into it.
9: Oh, I have no insight. Feel free. <laughs> uh, look, I, I think. Unfortunately, Joe Biden cannot leave well enough alone. He should have celebrated the big jobs number. Uh, Instead, he couldn't resist blasting, uh, essentially blasting his predecessor for leaving him a totally destroyed, suffering collapsing at the edges uh, economy, none of which is true. I mean, that is the most offensive thing to me, is mm-hmm. this ability of Joe Biden to get up and lie. OK, inflation was one point four percent when he took office. It took off exactly after the American Rescue Plan was passed uh, and and basically quintupled by the end of the year. Uh, jobs numbers and growth in the third quarter of 2020 Uh, The GDP expanded a 38 percent rate. It roared back to life. Fourth quarter as well was a growth quarter. First quarter, when Joe Biden goes in the Oval Office, the economy grew at 6 percent. So all of that is he either can't remember, you know, he may have a short term memory problem or he's just purposely lying about it. And to me, it's so stupid because he actually had a remarkable employment report to talk about and he completely blew it by going off the rails and lying about the economy
1: steve moore what's joe biden going to say about spending (laughs) what do you think about that part or he probably won't even talk about spending or debt or deficit oh no no steve he's going to say that uh, because of his policies the deficit came down and we're spending less right that's what he's going to say Hello? No. Oh, do we not have Steve Moore? All
3: right. Sorry. I was I was muted. I was listening to you guys. Um, so, um, first of all, this is putting lipstick on a pig. I mean, still 72% of Americans rate the economy as as fair or poor. So, you know, under Trump, it was uh, exactly the opposite. It was about 70% of Americans rated the economy as good or great. So Americans aren't buying it, and they see the continued inflation. They go to the grocery store. They go to the gas pump. They're still seeing high prices they've come down a bit but they're still way way higher than they were you know prices are about 13 percent higher larry than when trump left office that's a that's a big bump up in prices in just two years so i think he runs a danger of trying to paint this ro- rosy picture about an economy where, when americans aren't sharing that <laughs> that uh, that optimism now i happen to think that the biggest danger sign on the economy is is the out of control uh Spending and debt, which has increased, you know, by four point two trillion dollars in two years over the baseline of spending, and then you've got a, a, a forecast that the the debt will go up by another fifteen trillion dollars over the next decade just by staying with the current policies. So I think it's a, it's a tough sell for for um, Biden to be talking about how great the country is going when people see the chaos at the border, they continue to see high prices at the grocery store, they continue to see. You know problems with uh, you know we're not producing enough oil and gas and p- p- the price of home heating and by the way one other statistic he won't mention but the gas price was two fifty nine a gallon the month that Trump left office then it then it just soared to over five dollars went up to about five fifty a gallon under Biden and now it's all the way down to three fifty nine a gallon that's still Larry, a dollar more per gallon than when Trump left office because we cut off the
1: uh, the uh, production of oil and gas in this country. Yeah, but, <clears throat> Liz, I, I cannot agree with Steve. Uh, Biden's going to make the case that deficits have come down yeah. and spending has come down because of his policies. Yeah. He's going to make that case, and he's going to say that we should have a clean debt bill, that these Republican MAGA, wacko, crazy people, they want to cut spending. By the way, Phil Graham was on before... Uh, he said that Joe Biden voted for all the riders on prior debt bills when he was a senator. That's very cool statistic. So the idea that he, in fact, Joe Biden voted for the Graham Rudman Hollings sequestration back in 1986 when he was a senator. He also voted for the Ronald Reagan uh, flat tax thing that was 15 and 28. But anyway, I'm digressing. Biden's going to say he got the debt down. He got the spending down and the Republicans should just give him a clean debt bill. Yeah. And all the Democrats are going to stand up and cheer loudly.
9: Yeah, and and he's talked about that being a bipartisan undertaking. In fact, the reality is very, very rarely is it a bipartisan undertaking. And Joe Biden himself voted against increasing the debt ceiling in 2002, four, five, mm. and I think certain other years in the aughts. Uh, so yeah. this is not something that is unprecedented. He will, in fact, claim that he's brought deficits down only because they were at such monstrous levels Uh, When he took office because of what the Committee for Responsible Federal Budget says was appropriate spending, which did bounce the economy back very nicely, as I mentioned earlier, the the risk and the the danger and the mistake was to continue that spending in 2021 and end up with deficits uh, basically exactly at the same level. And yes, in 2022, it came down because we should not even conceivably be spending what we did during that emergency period. Uh, The committee, again, talks about Biden uh, basically increasing our deficits by four point eight trillion dollars, Larry, uh, through Mm -hmm. legislative action and also executive action. That is on his plate. It was unnecessary. Uh, That is the legacy of Joe Biden.
3: And by the way, let me just add one thing to this. So because it just angers me so much when Biden says I've cut you've heard him say this probably 10 times in the last two weeks. I've cut the deficit by 1.4 yes, trillion. Yes. Yes. Wait a minute. So, so wait yes. a minute. Here's the math. I just want to explain to people the the, the math here. So Biden comes in. The first thing he does is spe- is pass a two trillion dollar so-called American Recovery Act. And Liz uh, is right. There was no need for that. The economy was was booming uh, when Biden came into office. And so the debt surged, The deficit went up to uh, 2.8 trillion dollars in his first year. 2.8 trillion an yeah. all-time record. So then the next year, 2022, we borrow another $1.4 trillion. And so he's saying, oh, I've lowered the deficit <laughs> by $1.4 trillion. It's the most – It's talk about new math. Now, here's the thing. It would be like saying, you know, oh, I put on 50 pounds last year, and this year I've only put on 25 more pounds. So, you know, I, I'm reducing my body fat. I mean, yeah. how – that's a crazy argument.
9: I don't think Americans are going to buy it. Steve. I, I don't think they're buying it because polling shows people really do want Congress to focus on our excessive spending. Oh, Americans exactly. are not yeah. that stupid. And they know, you know, Larry, where the rubber's going to hit the road is when people begin to see what the interest on our debt begins to look like. It was up 37 percent in the first fiscal quarter of this year. It is going to begin to crowd out important yep. programs that Americans count on that you know, up till now, it's been sort of uh, a, a cost free thing to increase our national debt. That is no longer the case.
3: By the way, we're going to be soon spending more money on debt than national defense.
9: Yeah. Did you know that? Yes. And it's yeah. crazy. Yep. And Medicaid. I right. mean, you know, there's an awful lot of programs that are going to be pinched. Because we can't rein in this national debt. So
1: Joe Joe Biden,
9: I think this fight over the debt ceiling is something um, I know it's always toxic, always really difficult and and concerning. I think it has to happen.
1: Joe Biden is going to stand there. Joe Biden's going to stand up there and talk about how gasoline prices were five (laughs) dollars a gallon nationwide. And now they're only three dollars and 50 cents. And he's going to drive Steve Moore crazy. He's. (laughs) He's gonna,
3: I've already got the steam coming out of my ears. I'm
1: telling you, man, you're just going to have to sit there with a bottle of scotch and watch what he says, because he, this guy lies with impunity. God bless him. He, li- he I mean, he, you said, know he said, he said, was it yesterday or Thursday or both? I didn't have, I inherited an inflation problem.
9: Yeah. Now, <laughs> met- Larry. I hope that Sarah Huckabee Sanders is really well prepared yeah. on all this stuff to rebut. Oh, rip she's out. a good, yeah. I mean, she needs the material. I hope you are and other yep. people are giving it. I'm They're on things. it. I'm this on is it. an easy case to make. By uh, the way,
3: Larry, you know what? The, my favorite line of any modern uh, State of the Union speech has been over the last forty years. Yes, when Bill Clinton said,
1: oh, "The era yeah, of big, big government, government is, is over."
3: <laughs> you think? I want I want Joe Biden to say
9: that. Yeah, sure.
1: You think Liz <laughs> Joe Biden's going to just declare that?
9: He he's going to say. The era of big government is coming, and that will be <laughs> exactly. the most depressing thing we've ever heard. He's going to look. He's already said it. He said people
1: are attacking me, but my program worked. Yeah. people yeah. were attacking. He's already said. Uh-huh. You've heard it. I'm telling. The stuff he said in the last two, three, four days. Couple yep, Democratic yep. fundraisers, it's all yep. gonna be re, he's re channeling, you know, the speech writers have already put a draft together, and sure. they're road testing it out there, and it's gonna drive you guys crazy. It's gonna <laughs> drive me crazy too. I'm just saying, I'm just get ready for this. It's coming. The era of big government is just starting because it works. I just
3: wonder, Larry, if that that, uh, balloon is going to be hovering over the Capitol. (laughs) Oh, gosh. The
1: (laughs) the one thing he won't talk about is the Chinese balloon. I guarantee you that. In fact, he's not going to mention the word C-H-I-N-A. Anyway, we're here
0: with Liz Peek
1: and Steve Moore. I'm Kudlow. We'll be right back after this short break.
0: Larry Kudlow. On 77 WABC. It's the Larry Kudlow Show. Free market prosperity starts here. Now, here's Larry Kudlow.
1: Welcome back, folks. I'm Larry Kudlow. We're here with Liz Peek, Fox News contributor, and Steve Moore, whose radio show will begin in a few moments. It's called More Money. Everybody's got to listen to it. So, guys, I'm going to continue this. Um, I wonder how much Mr. Biden is going to talk about climate change and all of its many successes on the economy, making Americans very happy. They they can't have a good toilet bowl flushing, the shower head, running water, (laughs) gas gas stoves. Yep, gas stoves. (laughs) Jennifer Granholm's big editorial about that. Um, I don't know. You know, John Kerry's over in China cutting deals on climate change. Maybe that's what this whole whole China... uh, what balloon thing is about weather and climate change. Maybe that's the way the Chinese should have taken that approach. But I think he's going to defend Steve Moore. I think he's I know you love this. He's going to defend his uh, Green New Deal climate change. He's going to defend all his spending. And I think he's going to attack Republicans for disrupting our nation's debt markets and um, jeopardizing and threatening our credit worthiness, Steve Moore. I think get uh, ready. Uh, he's going to attack. Him. Yeah,
3: um, he, that is exactly what he's going to do, Larry. But You know, Americans just aren't buying it. I mean, every poll for the last six months has shown people are very concerned about the economy. The job market is good. No question about it. This is a really good jobs market. But you look at, you know, inflation, you look at debt, you look at all these other issues that Americans are really uh, concerned about. So I think he's going to try to sort of oversell this, and I'm not so sure Americans are going to buy it. And, you know, when he uses lines like, you know, I'm reducing the deficit – I think that people are going to Americans are going to laugh at that. As as Liz said, the American public is not as dumb as as Joe Biden seems to think they are. And isn't it ironic, by the way, that two weeks after Joe Biden swears on a Bible that we're not going to take away your gas stoves, the Energy Department comes out with the regulation to uh,
1: take away your gas stoves? (laughs) Uh, Absolutely. Liz, pick. um, You were talking before about Sarah Sanders, and she's going to give her. Counter State of the Union. Yeah. So what would you uh, advise her? What I'm would sorry. you advise her?
9: Well, I, I certainly would want to get the real facts out there about the economy. I would want American families to really pay attention to what Steve was mentioning that actually the price of gasoline has gone up, the price of everything. I mean, I don't know about you guys, but every time I go to the grocery store, I am stunned by how expensive everything is. And, you know, it's the kind of thing where you wonder whether it's really being captured in in the data i mean i don't know may anyway i just i think that people really are unnerved by having to spend so much more look real incomes for the middle class of america are down enormously over Mm -hmm. the last two years. Mm -hmm. And people are very aware of that. I think it was the Dallas Fed that did a study and says the worst hit to middle-class incomes in 25 years. If I were Sarah, I would talk about that. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I would, again, kind of go back to this interest on the debt, because that is something we have not seen uh, in many, many, many years, because interest rates all of a sudden have been jacked up to really high levels uh, all of a sudden, now, the cost of this rising national debt is really an issue for everybody I, I also think if I were she i 'd say, "Look, the Fed chair just came out and told America we are going to slow the growth of the economy and purposely put people out of jobs mm-hmm. i mean that 's not a very welcome note and, and i don 't know about you guys i don 't know what 's up with this jobs number. I thought the the January figure five hundred and seventeen thousand jobs was completely bonkers and I don't know what it means. I don't know how that can happen when wage uh, inflation supposedly is also decelerating. It makes no sense to me. And I I just I wonder what your take on that is. I I don't I don't know what to make of it.
1: Well, there's a lot of seasonal adjustments. There were benchmarking. There's population surveys in there. But I just um, this is a good point uh, you touched on a moment ago. Um, Sarah should come out for a really strong growth and prosperity. Yeah. You know what I mean? Um, whether it's she also, chooses Larry, to defend her former boss or not is up to her. I don't well, know what I, she's going to But
9: talk do. about tax cuts and how Dr. Biden is right. always talking about how, oh, you know, we have this huge tax cut, and that is what's created the deficits. No, it is not. As you have pointed out, tax revenues actually went up Mm -hmm. during the last several years. And I think that's, you know, just countering all the false narratives that are coming out of Joe Biden and the Democrats. I think it's very important.
1: Yeah, I mean, I'd like to see her say, look, the inflation was caused by Joe Biden's spending. Uh, The Federal Reserve is wrong. We don't need to destroy the economy and jobs. What we need to do is restore Low taxes and deregulation and yeah. energy independence. You know what I mean? Put a, put a prosperity spin on it, a growth spin on everything. I mean, the Republicans haven't done a fabulous job on that. They no. really haven't. I mean, Steve Moore, uh, you know, you and I and the others, we're, you know, part of the growth movement. We have been for many decades. But the, even now, the GOP, I mean, look, we uh, we want to cut spending as part of the debt increase and so forth. But they don't frame it as pro-growth, Steve Moore, like pro-prosperity, pro-job creation. You know, I mean, their messaging could be better on that. And that's the stuff that appeals to a broad swath of Americans.
3: So you and I uh, got together with uh, Steve Forbes and, and our laugher this week. His great new book is out uh, called Taxes Have Consequences, where he goes over the whole history of the last hundred years and how every time we've cut taxes, good things have happened to the economy. I know that you and Arthur were, uh, you know, right there alongside Calvin Coolidge advising him on that.
1: (laughs) No, 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 no. I worked, (laughs) he worked for Coolidge. I worked for Warren Harding.
3: (laughs) But anyway, I mean, you know, so that's really important. But I want to say another thing. There was a lead story in the Wall Street Journal this morning that Biden's going to make a big case, a, quote, bipartisan case for antitrust legislation to go after high tech. And I got to tell you, that is a total disaster. And Republicans don't have their hands clean on this. A lot of Republicans want to go after big tech. The one industry that has propelled America, the incredible financial and technological leadership, they want to tear these businesses down. And by the way, it's not as if, you know, high tech is is these are the high times for high tech. These companies lost a trillion dollars last yeah. year, and now she wants he, he wants the uh, you know the the regulators to to further squash them, which will only benefit the Chinese uh, yeah. firms, which yeah. are not subject to our antitrust laws.
1: You know, you got the guy. What's the name from Missouri? The senator from Missouri. Oh, Josh Hawley. Yeah, Hawley. See, so yeah. and and a bunch of them, they don't understand the difference. Between reforming Section 230 for free speech right. purposes, yep. right, and preserving America's great technology companies, exactly, with uh, with quantum computing and artificial intelligence, yes, and cybersecurity and uh, even 5G. I mean, they don't, they can't seem to distinguish between the two, and they've fallen into that antitrust trap, Liz you know it's like they they they're all lining up behind this crazy person Lina Khan running the well, FTC i was
9: going i was going to say it's not just tech folks um The the FTC has cracked down on mergers and acquisitions to the point where, as of, like, last week, there was not one single deal announced in the United States, which is, like, unheard of. Mm -hmm. Uh, And guess what? This is really hurting American businesses. There's so – it's really like the Obama days. There's so much uncertainty coming from regulatory agencies that are on a crusade, and I don't – I mean, this is something Joe Biden kind of spun out of his head weirdly that we need to unconcentrate concentrated industries. It's really stupid, and it's hurting American companies. Tech is just one very visible industry being hurt by this, but there is a chill over corporate America, and it's not a good thing for right. our country. And by the way, it hurts the small companies.
3: Those companies
1: that want to be more. And the uh, Chinese spy bubble is over North Carolina, and Joe Biden's going to take care of it. I know that because he just said so. I'm Kudlow. We'll be back next week. See if the spy satellite is still there.